I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Hey, everybody. It's Jack. Thanks for joining us again. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit on the intro, so I hope you enjoy it. This is a little more intimate. Today's conversation I'm excited for. A, I enjoy who I'm talking to, and I think the topic's really, really interesting. There's some misunderstandings out there about this, and I think this will hopefully clear it up. So, you know, without further ado, today we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, what it is, Uh, how it's currently used, and and what the future holds for us on this topic. So here to talk with us about this is Let's Tech shareholder Scott Kroger, and the first time, I think, on the podcast, which is crazy. It is. Have you had multiple repeat? We've had a couple, so we we haven't tapped into you yet. So Scott, tell us about yourself, what you do at Lutz, and then we'll get into it. So I've been at Lutz for 10 years. I have a technology background. I was a computer science major in college. Worked at uh, one of the one of the big five consulting firms right out of school, Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. Tried my hand at a couple startups in Silicon Valley, and then ended up in the early 2000s back in Omaha. Raised a family and worked uh, worked for a couple of tech companies here before then landing at Lutz 10 years ago to help grow a managed services practice, uh, which is now managed services, software development, uh, and data analytics. And uh, shareholder with Lutz and department head for the tech department. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's that's really cool. And you know, you mentioned managed services, custom development, and data analytics, and and it's so much fun seeing these new service lines because I think that the you know, the, the opportunities are endless in this world. So I feel very lucky and fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah. And, you know, all businesses are becoming technology businesses, whether they like it or not, which which kind of makes this topic interesting. But all the, you know, the service lines that we have are really were developed as a response of our, our clients saying, hey, we need help. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're happy to, to serve that. So sort of shameless plug for our services. But before we get into <laughs> I, I'm a yeah. sucker for that. I, I, I have no problem with that. I am a cheesy, greasy salesman. There you go. So let's. So artificial intelligence. Can you give us kind of a rundown of of? And this is a large, large topic, right? There's so many different things that artificial intelligence can mean. I think when you say that word, it probably brings to mind like robotics. But can you explain to us what it is and kind of the different facets of it? Yeah. So. Like the classic sort of Webster dictionary definition is the development of computer systems able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. So think of visual perception, seeing things, recognizing speech, hearing things, making decisions, sort of logic-based decisions, and you know, like translating between languages. That sort of think think human type attributes that normally were reserved for humans that are now starting to morph into technology. And so the use of those, you know, sensory devices to then use in digital programming to, to make decisions. So that's, that's sort of the high level decision. But the thing is, is, you know, AI, we're using it today. And most people just have come to like, assume that it, they don't even think of it as AI. Mm-hmm. So when you say, hey, Siri, make a call, right, you're using AI. So it's, it's sort of seeped into our, our, you know, the self-driving cars and Tesla. It's here, and but yet it's become so commonplace that people don't think of it as this far out, you know, robot matrix thing, when in actuality it kind of is. If you were to have gone back 50 years and said that this stuff would be available, mm-hmm. they'd go, whoa, that's artificial intelligence and it's it's out there. So Right. Well, I, I think that idea, that picture of 
what is it, iRobot was the movie, I think, with Will Smith, or people see the Boston Dynamics videos, and I think those freak them out a little bit. But to your point, yeah, it's anything. Siri is a great example. The personal assistant on emails, you know, going through your calendar indicating, hey, this is the time that you spent here, maybe spend it here and do this and that. So what are some things, you know, very briefly that people could look at, A, maybe recognize what they're already using or or B, something that they should look into to help help their day-to-day processes? Well, I mean, I I think, you know, to kind of go back to your, the the analogy you made about the movies, you know, it's Star Wars, Terminator, The Matrix, Mm -hmm. 2001, A Space Odyssey. It is a broad topic. It ranges from calculators to self-driving cars. And again, we use them in our daily lives and we don't even think about it. It actually... There's the, the guy who coined the term artificial intelligence was a guy named John McCarthy, who was a computer scientist back in, in 1956. And he had said, hey, as soon as it works, no one calls it AI anymore. And huh. so, you know, because of that, AI often sounds like this mythical future prediction, right. you know, when really it's it is part of our daily lives. So think Alexa, think Tesla yeah. self-driving cars, think, you know, the speech recognition piece that how good that's gotten to, you know, not only listen, but then there's a lot of systems now that can react. So you can talk to systems, they'll talk back to you. And Google did a demo a couple of years ago in one of their keynote speeches, mm-hmm. which it on the back end, it was they were it was a Google scheduling mm-hmm. assistant where you, you told your Google phone, hey, make me a, an appointment at a hair salon. And then it went and replayed what the appointment with the hair salon was like because it was a phone call setting up a reservation. And it was basically speech recognition, talking back. It sounded like an actual human with some of the uhs and ands and ums, Mm -hmm. you know, to the point where people were, they were blown away by it. But then there's that moment where you're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is like, what are the ethical ramifications? We'll we'll get into that in, in in a bit about some of the ethical ramifications, but you know, there's there's a there's something called the Turing test, mm-hmm. which a guy named Alan Turing uh, in 1950, famous famous mathematician. There's a movie about him breaking the, uh, the the Enigma code, which basically was a pivotal point in World War II, where That's he an awesome movie, yeah, by the way. right. So he it's is it code code breakers? Uh, I don't, I can't remember. remember. Anyway, that was about Alan Turing. Well, yep. Alan Turing, famous computer scientist, said you know that his test is. It basically, if you have, if I were to put a big wall between you and I and you couldn't see me and we were interacting and we were talking, you couldn't tell that I was a computer. Mm-hmm. That's when we get to this level of artificial intelligence where it matches a human's. Mm-hmm. We are inching closer and closer. There's no technology yet that has passed the Turing test, but we're really close. And that and that Google that Google experiment was one where I had that first moment where I'm like, whoa, right. is this approaching that? Because you, know, you can deal. hear in that Google keynote speech, you can hear the, the individual on the other end of the line having a conversation. It seemed as if they had no idea yep. that they were talking to, you know, a, a program's, you know, program from Google. So it was right. pretty, pretty incredible to yep. see that. Yep. You know, and, and you mentioned, so the other day I was talking to Mendoza and it was, it was funny because he, we jumped on our team's call on the computer that was scheduled, I think with voice. And then he answered and goes, Google volume down. And <laughs> yeah, and it's, it really, it's it, it, all those things that have become, yeah. become a big part of our lives. And I think it, it is important to, to kind of understand like, well, why are we talking about this now? And why is this? Why is this bigger than it has been? And why does this seem to be more in the news? And the reason is, is that we've now gotten to the point, there's there's three big things that all, you know, sort of computer scientists point to as the reason why we're at this point. Mm-hmm. One is 
computational computing power. Mm-hmm. So there's Gordon Moore was a guy who was early in the in the design and architecture of of microprocessors. And you know, there's there he, he had a Moore's law is is that the number of transistors on a chip double over 18 months. And that actually has held true since he came up with it in late 70s, early 80s. And so so that processing power doubles and, and gets more advanced every 18 months. Right. We're able to process things faster than we were in the past. We're also able to there's there's the second big thing is is that the data that we're able to produce and store mm-hmm. is so much larger. So think about all the data that is being produced right now with our phones, with you know these podcasts, this, with yeah. this, right? So how many times you take a picture, how many times you enter data, you're constantly producing data. Right. And the amount of data that's being produced by by just individual humans has double, triple, quadrupled, yep. you know, even in the last 18 months. So now all of a sudden we've got these huge data sets to you know, write programs against and say, hey, can we come up with something interesting or learn things? Um, that's why you can teach computers things now when we talk about, you know, machine learning. The reason you can do that is because we have such large data sets now, such fast processors, and now we can take, you know, what a lot of the algorithms and computer programs that are being used against this, a lot of the theory is, is actually still, it's, it's fairly old. They just never had the technology back then to have the computing power and to have the amount of data and store it and store it yeah. and run it in an amount of time that you know it would take years to compute versus now it takes minutes to compute when we're writing these programs to test how or, or teaching a computer to look at pictures and determine and pick out a cat from a thousand pictures. Right. Right. Well, so so you mentioned every eighteen months it doubles. So that's the the ability to process. Isn't the um, the amount of data that we're able to store exponentially increasing, or de- the size of, of device needed to store data is decreasing at such a rate that's so insane? I mean, some of these data centers that we talk about, Google data centers, Facebook data centers. I mean, how do you have any? I mean, do you have an estimate of like the amount of data that goes into one of those? Well, and you. Well, I, I can't give you the exact, I, I, don't, I don't know what one data center, but you've noticed even in our area, right? Yeah. We're talking about around the Midwest, you know, we're, we're talking here from our offices in, in Omaha, but there are Facebook data centers. There's the main Google data center in Council Bluffs, which then another Google data center was added. Yeah, Facebook. And I, I can't, I think there's a Yahoo one as well. So, you know, here's what I can tell you is, is, I gave a presentation two years ago, and at that time, the stat I had come up with was the average human produces 500 gigabytes a day. So when you think about storing all of that, you know, in the cloud and in these data centers, I mean, it is, it's almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if I had the answer, I'd tell you it'd be, let's say I told you it was 100,000 zettabytes, right. whatever. Whatever it is. You, you'd go, you'd st- the human brain can't comprehend. Well, it's like how, trying to understand how, how much a billion dollars is. I don't right. I, <laughs> know what that is right right so what are let's get into the let's get into the moral side of it i mean what are some of the some of the concerns you know with with artificial intelligence when we talk about making decisions uh, allowing computers to make decisions based on these data sets what are things that people are concerned about because i can tell you that they are yeah no i think you know there was a in 60 minutes did a, a bit two years ago about china mm-hmm. and about you know just the surveillance state and mm-hmm. what's possible it showed some of the some of the AI technology. Basically, it was a street camera showing people, and it had people walking by, and it had like little arrows over their head of like 53 year old female, 44 yep. year old male. Like it was quickly identifying people and places and names and faces. And so there's there's a freedom bit to the whole thing and a privacy thing that, especially here in the United States, which thank God, 
is you know a, a big issue that we worry about. So the, the biggest one being being privacy in the surveillance state of what's possible with some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. If if you really do get into it, it is pretty scary how closely somebody could be monitored if they're wanting to. And we're starting to see that again yeah. in China. I mean, I think the other thing is, you know, that the programs that are being written are being, you know, written by humans. And a lot of times there's just, sometimes there's there's biases that are put in there that are, are not natural, but there's been a lot of evidence about, you know, bias sort of creeping into some of these algorithms because they're made by humans. And so how do you make sure that those, that those are sort of fair and balanced type, right? Uh, and, and that you're not, you know, if you go into so so to extend that out, it's 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 if if you write a computer program that all of a sudden is determining whether you get credit based mm-hmm. on a bunch of different information, and all of a sudden, you know, we're depending on one computer to make a decision, and there's not a human, and you are denied credit or denied something that you're like, there's no way I should be able to get that. Right. You know, some something crept in about a bias about you sure. that made it. You know, so that, that you should have got. So it's those things that you that you start to worry about putting a lot of the stake in. You know, in that to make those well, decisions. Well, and so on that on that topic then of of that situation. I mean, it, don't you see some positive potential in decentralization, right? Now, when you start talking about blockchain and some of that stuff, but there, there, you know, that technology. And this is getting into a different realm of of this conversation. But I think that's really the goal of of decentralizing some of these functions in society, right? Maybe uh, currency is to avoid those biases. Yeah. And I, again, I, I just think it, it's, it's, we're in the early phases of this. Right. And I think, I think a lot of it, we're, we're just now starting to face some of the, some of the ethical things that could be coming our way. And I, and I do think, yeah, getting the, having something centrally managed can be fraught with some of those issues. I think, you know, allowing allowing some of this technology, like sort of playing on the open source movement, th- there are a lot of if once this technology gets into people's hands that, you know, allow it to make sure that we have the checks and balances in place through that decentralization. I, I think it hopefully will, will work itself out, but it'll definitely be something that governments, you know, worldwide have to deal with. But again, when I say we're in the early phases, there's, you know, there really are three main phases of artificial intelligence. There's something called artificial narrow intelligence artificial general intelligence, and then artificial super intelligence. We're in the artificial narrow intelligence band right now. And that's, it's sort of, it's defined as weak AI. Uh, it specializes in one area. So think about talking to Alexa and having it be, you know, speech. Or think about creating a computer that can beat beat a human in chess. Mm-hmm. But that's all it can do, right. right? It's just this one simple focus thing. Or what Tesla's trying to do with self-driving cars. like. All that can do is drive a car successfully, but it can't go, you know, make a recipe recommendation and, you know, it can't, you know, answer queries and stuff. It's really only designed for one thing. The artificial general intelligence is sort of, that's where we get to the human level AI. And that's, that is where AI is across, is as smart as a human across the board. And so we're not, we're not there yet. That's kind of that next step and next evolution that people are saying, boy, how close are we to that? Right. And then artificial and super intelligence is, you know, an intellect that is much smarter than the best human uh, in practically every field, including science, creativity, general wisdom, social skills, that kind of stuff. So those are the three areas, um, so, you know, of, of artificial intelligence. Well, so when you talk about when you talk about these areas of artificial intelligence, yet we are only in a beginning phase, so we're not talking about anything that we've experienced yet. It is kind of like science fiction. 
in a sense. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I understand it's rooted in in, in some, some fact, but it's just interesting to analyze situations, uh, you know, a, a, a timeline when you're at the beginning of it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when we talk about some of the benefits to humanity, we, we, it's, it's easy to go to the, the negative side and the privacy side. But when you look at what it's able to do now, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we, we need to feed an additional 2 billion people by 2050. Right. Right. So pest detection, crop return prediction, agricultural robots, predictive analytics on on crop production and stuff. I mean, that stuff has real systemic benefits and that, that stuff is being widely adopted now. And there's a lot of stuff being done at UNL even right now to that end to use this technology for the betterment of, you know, trying to trying to feed those additional right. people. You're right. It is easy to talk about the negatives. It is. And so I'm glad that you highlight, highlight well, you know, the I mean, benefits. that in healthcare, right? There's right. so many, you know, assisting in cancer detection with, Images. So that's a really interesting practical example where, you know, radiologists, uh, if I can train, because if I can train a computer and show them what cancer looks like and feed a thousand images into that, Mm -hmm. and I've got processing power fast enough to process that and say, these are all the ones that have cancer. These are the ones that don't. And now all of a sudden I can start feeding the same x-rays into the same machine. Right. Now all of a sudden we start to get better predictability and some of the software will have it. And then we can give it to the radiologist to confirm that, but we can get better detection. Sometimes it's able to see stuff that, that humans can't. So it's that nice check and balance to know this stuff is getting advanced and making ourselves better. Right. Well, in, in that scenario, people I'm sure would say, well, what if it's wrong? Of course, of course it could be wrong. It can make the wrong decision. So can humans, though, at least right. with the machine or artificial intelligence, you know what that error level is going to be. Right. Right. And then you can work around that. Real quick on the fear thing, because people, I think it freaks people out a little bit. In your mind, is there anything that you, kind of freaks you out personally? And if so, what? And what are ways people can mitigate that fear? Oh, I, I think we're dealing with this right now and, you know there's they're talking about legislation now for for social media and when i when i say social media there's you know if, if anybody who's seen the social dilemma you know there's algorithms that are determining what you see and what you don't see and you know when that starts to impact mental health when that starts to impact political you know the the democracy process in and of itself what we sort of those truths that we held to be self-evident you can kind of go back to there's a you know uh, the cambridge analytica who had a bunch of personal profile information that, you know, those, they were those little psychology tests on Facebook. They then took a lot of that data, married it up, and really with a pretty high degree of accuracy could determine, you know, what your hot button was. And then I could target advertising towards you to determine what that hot button was to get you to flip your vote. So I think th- those things get a little worrisome when it comes to what are the computers doing to us now as, as, as humans now that these platforms are so ubiquitous right. and, and really you can't kind of get away from them. So right. those are the, and we don't know enough yet, but we do know that kids are more bummed out than they've used to be. And we're dealing with stuff that we haven't had to. That's where it starts to get pretty worrisome about, Hey, wait a minute, how do we curb this? Right. I heard something the other day, or I was reading an article the other day about, you know, that they're drawing similarities between what we're dealing with now and when the tobacco industry stopped advertising, you know, during sporting events and promoting cigarettes and, and wow. it, that sort of legislation. They're starting to l- draw parallels to what we're sure. seeing with social media and mental health. And I hadn't gone there yet. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, so when you it's it's, in, it's I think it's really bizarre when you talk about kids and adolescents and, and their unhappiness or their mental health and. You know, living now where, you know, the the chance of survival are probably higher, not probably are higher than they've ever been. 
it's it's excruciating to see that people are unhappier than they've ever been, right? Yeah. So, and that's where you can see people probably push away from this this realm, but it's not something we can avoid, right? I mean, it's happening. It's going to happen. It's it's the next evolution of of you know civilization, and and I think. We need to embrace it and educate ourselves. That's a big piece. And it's only, I mean, I think, you know, with the, going back to the three big things of, you know, the the ability to have a ton of data, mm-hmm. right, number one, and then the processing power, and then sort of those improved algorithms being the third one. I think the interesting thing is, is that the computing power, you know, with quantum computing really is going to be that next evolution to where (laughs) where that processing power will get even better and faster and smarter which that then becomes the game changer of continuing that processing power getting to be as fast as a human brain essentially Mm -hmm. or faster Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases that quantum technology has the likelihood of getting us there which is super fascinating the amount of progress i think the biggest thing that's happened in the last two or three years is is that development in in quantum computing and it's it's kind of hard to it it's taken me a long it, it's super hard if you're not uh, you know a physicist or you're not in it it's super hard for the for the really anyone to kind the of concepts grasp are out there is. concepts yeah. are way out there so at a super high level and i've tried to come up with how do i describe this as simply as possible data is stored you know in in the form of a zero or one right mm-hmm. a transistor is on or it's off mm-hmm. In quantum computing, it's it's basically they've taken it instead of you know uh, instead of electrical pulse being on or off, they're now making it. They're actually using physics. So if, I don't know if you remember back in physics class, you learned about protons, neutrons, electrons. What they're doing now is is to developing computer programs that can read the state, or well, the, a quantum computer can read the state of an electron. So what's interesting is there's there's three states an electron can be in. It's it's basically on or off. But then there's something in the middle called superposition, mm-hmm. and that's like this you know basically this third dimension that allows for calculations to be you know exponent do exponentially more calculations and write programs that can take and make use of that third state that we talked sure. about and read that state to then you know have that be exponentially more powerful than what we've got today in sort of the the zero and one and the the hard part with that is though is that now we're dealing with actual physics and trying to read states of atoms and stuff and that's why supercomputers have to be at like you know negative 600 degrees for it to work because we're dealing with matter and trying to read it the interesting thing is though is there was an art there's something that came out i think it was last was it last year or maybe it was even six months ago Google was able to, they found this type of matter that defied the second law of thermodynamics, which, and they called them- Google did? Yeah, they called them time crystals, which, and so that sounds like it's from- It's like, crazy. It's crazy. It like but it's you talk about quantum out. physics, it all sounds crazy. It all sounds crazy. But the, the interesting thing about it is that it, it's a different state of matter that they hope to then replicate to use in these quantum computers to more reliably do the calculations. Because the big thing now is they try to read these things and sometimes the calculations, there's an error rate. The error rate is too high to do anything of substance, but they think this new matter state Mm -hmm. is more reliable to be able to do and process those calculations sure. with by reducing the error rate as well and right. getting that reliance to say, okay, this this could now have more commercial applications given you know this new state of matter. So right. it's 
it's way out there, right? It's, it's but like it is head exploding so fascinating. Stuff, I mean, have you ever seen like those videos where they they have a piece of matter that is at the quantum level and it's in not it's not over here, it's not over there, it's in both at the same time. Correct. Right? Exactly right. And so it. it's it's it, you know when people hear about this, they probably struggle because they're like, well, what does that third state tell you? It's not. It's not about understanding, I think, what that third state tells you. It's about the decisions before were leaving out that third state. So we were missing a piece of information about the nature of that state. To your point about, you know, being able to look at it and understand it and compute on it, it reduces the you know error and increases accuracy, probably. Yeah, coming back to a, a macro level for our listeners, <clears throat> all that's to say is the processing power is getting to the point where we're going to go from that artificial narrow intelligence mm-hmm. and really get a whole lot closer to artificial or sorry that that the general artificial general intelligence yep. which is that you know computers can become as smart as humans kind of in, in all aspects and that gets that gets that has real real interesting implications that you know i mean think about it the you know the iphone came out in the early 2000s right yeah. so that thing was a know, brick too i one of my buddies yeah <laughs> but that's not that long ago no. so so the rate i talk about it like it was <laughs> the rate at which this stuff is progressing is you know is also mind boggling yeah. that if you look at human evolution you know starting with fire and 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 agriculture and some of those the the, the major progress that we made as his humans were you know, if you know what an exponential curve looks like, right? It mm-hmm. looks like a hockey stick, right? Mm-hmm. So where a lot of people think we're like right at the base of where it just goes vertical mm-hmm. from a from a hockey stick perspective. If you look at human progress on a graph, we're standing kind of looking up right at that where it shoots straight up. And if, and if you think about what's happened and how fast it's happened, you know, even with kind of, you know, the internet being really sort of you know, having relevance and taking hold, you know, in, in the in the early 90s, it gets pretty interesting. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, where where can people? Do you have good resources for people to you know educate themselves? I think education is the easiest way to ease anxiety. Yeah, I there's there's a couple. There's a blog called Wait But Why. Okay. And if you just Google Wait But Why AI, it is a great sort of high level explanation that really kind of centers you on. A lot of these concepts we talked about as to why it's, and, and I think it was written in like 2015 or 16, but it's still very, very relevant that I, I think is, is interesting. There's, a, there's a, a book called Do You Trust This Computer? And it, actually, that may be a, um, it may be a little like a, like a documentary oh, okay. um, that's pretty good as well. But yeah, no, those are, those are the two places I'd start. And then I, I don't know, I, there's, you know. There's so many podcasts out there you can listen to. And um, I, I don't know if I've got one that's like, yeah, if you're really into this, head into that but you know and I, I think I think you know people just need to embrace it I, I think that it's a lot of times it's here for right. you know it's not something to be scared of I mean yeah right but it, it's uh, it's definitely something that's going to impact us and our kids for for, sure. for whatever reason when I see podcasts that you know topics of podcasts I always skip over the AI one like it's not something I doesn't speak to you I yeah I mean I, I there's you know like the talk about quantum mechanics and physics and and all, I mean all kinds of things all day but I've got this weird idea in my head that oh if I if I click on AI it's going to talk about Tesla's and Boston Dynamics and that stuff but I need to probably allow it in a little bit more yeah and I think anything that that adds you know for dummies or like the beginner's right. guide or I think that's those are always good because it basically it says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this, but at a level that that humans and normal people can understand, because right. a lot of this stuff is just so far out there that it's it's hard to 
Right. It's hard to grow. Well, yeah, and I think if it's going to be my profession for a long time, I, <laughs> I ought to I ought to get yeah. a more of a, an interest in AI. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, because everybody's going to ask, well, how does it affect accounting? How does it affect right. legal? And, you know, with those professions, it's starting to do, you know, it's able to read text and, and mm-hmm. pick out stuff from contracts and help make decisions that, you know, teams of humans had to do. Right. Or, you know, it, it's able to, you know, some of the accounting prep work and stuff can be done, you know, by computers as, as, as opposed to humans. And I, I think that's maybe, maybe we should close on this is, you know, I think people are worried about well, what's this going to mean for, you know, the workforce and retraining the workforce and some of the, some of the stuff that AI could potentially replace. There's definitely going to be, you know, a movement uh, in the workforce that, that there is going to need to be a lot of emphasis on retraining and upskilling people into different professions because of this. That whether it's it's whether it's robots in manufacturing or whether it's you know data entry robots that kind of stuff taking taking some of those jobs away, it just reemphasizes that that people in general need to make sure that they're constantly adding learning to their lives, you know, to to, to upskill themselves. Well, and I think to to your point, it's it's uh, important to understand the why for what you do as opposed to just doing it right because it, when, when you get into this realm of AI or technology being able to maybe accomplish that role, it's gonna we're we're gonna need to be able to analyze and understand why things are being done. Yeah. Right. So it's just gonna change what's needed, not eliminate. When I did my research for an AI presentation a couple of years ago, I, I did come across something that was that, that's probably an interesting note to finish on, and that is nobody really understands AI completely, mm-hmm. even the people that are creating it. So it's everybody's sort of in this experimental mode of now that right. we've got all this computing power and all this data, we're all just everybody's just sort of guessing. There's some people are on the forefront of this, but it is still very, very much uh, in its early phase, and it, there's not a lot of people who have their whole brain wrapped around this thing. So, right. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Let's do this again. But no, thanks. Thanks. I, I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jack. See you, everybody. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.